Today, episode two of the Knuckleheads podcast, I have today with me one of my biggest influences when it comes to music, and honestly, someone I aspire to be like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought this was serious. <laughs> oh comedy. yeah, this is serious. I'm serious. Uh, I'm really impartial. Uh, I am partial to a different genre, obviously being hip-hop, but I've been following this dude uh, for quite some time now, and you've been in the music industry for going on, what, over 30 years now? 30, 35 years. 35 years. Um, I, I, I actually spoke with my dad about this, and you got your start as David Allen Coe's security guard? Maybe? Well, you know, kind of like that. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll make some adjustments with all this. Uh, the, you you did ballpark. transfer into actually doing your own music with the Cheap Whiskey Band. Yep. Uh, He's actually traveled all across the world in so many different areas, and we'll, we'll break down more to that. He's been inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, performed at Iron Horse Saloon. Uh, the world it, famous uh, Iron Horse Saloon. The world famous. Make sure we say that. Yeah, that, that matters. That like matters. Claremont Lounge. World famous Claremont It, it really is world so, famous, too. So, please, <laughs> you just got to qualify. That is true. Uh, what, you've been Iron Horse now how many years? Uh this bike week will be 32 years. 32 years. Uh, never so, missed a show. Never missed one. Okay. So without further ado, the name, the man himself, the, or shall I say it like this, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone I like to refer to as my uncle, which right. I, he's known me about that long. I at got this a point. cool nephew, so yeah. it works, <laughs> works for me, man. J.B. Walker. So. How y'all doing? All right. It's good to be here, man. Right downtown, the big ATL. That's true. We're, I am in Atlanta now. Right, right punch, in the heart man. of it. We're, we're in, uh, just where I love. Yeah, I love this place, man. It's, I haven't been here long, but I do. Uh, I've enjoyed it thus far. So we'll see. See how things keep rolling. Keep doing stuff like this and going from there. So, How's your mom and daddy? Yeah, that is a question you have always asked me, <laughs> and I always respond to it with the same thing. And I hope mom and daddy hear this. They are crazy as ever. Well, you know, you, you're like, you call me Uncle JB, you know, your mom and dad are like a brother and sister to me. I love them. I, I, and you are family to me. You know, we've, we've been we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Um, is there anything I, I missed or may have messed up in that little intro there? Nah, yeah. It's me. I'm All here. Right. I'm right. in person. All right, cool. So let's just start off into it with pretty much the first question I love to ask. Uh, who has influenced you the most when you first started making music, and then I'd love to hear like where you're kind of at now. Like, what are your common like listen? What you listen to now, and, and go from there. I love Elvis, Ricky Nelson. Like that's you know? that's what got you. Yeah, I mean that's you know I, I, my whole life. I you know I, I love their music. Ricky Nelson, I don't know if you know who he is. I do uh, not know Ricky Nelson, but I will be looking him up. After Ricky this. Nelson, you kidding me? That's I, something I have awesome. My dad might be disappointing me right now. <laughs> Little Ricky Nelson, Ozzy and Harriet. I, you probably played a song, and I would probably know it. But uh, Johnny Rivers, Johnny Rivers. But probably we know when I was a kid. I used to remember staying on the bed and sing along with my mama's record player to Johnny Rivers. And okay, interesting. Little I think Rick, I think Little our, Ricky our, Nelson. Uh, I think I, my, one of my fondest memories of music growing up was my mom getting a speeding ticket while singing, I think it was either Shaggy or Destiny Child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of those two. You I don't mean your mom's had a speeding ticket? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say that. Bless me. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody, and I, I brought him up, obviously, in the intro, but you always talk about him. You have so many stories with him. You, I, I relate this guy directly to you in so many ways. Tell me a little bit about how you got to know David Allen Coe, what got you started with him. Um, you've been opening up for him for as long as I've known. Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, me. David, to not say that David's a major influence on my music and my life would be cutting it short, but you were asking who, when mm -hmm. I was first started out, you know, yeah. Elvis, Ricky Nelson, Johnny Rivers, yeah. uh, James Brown. I love soul music. But I'd always want to be in the music business. Yeah. Well, I went to work at a place called the Rainbow Music Hall. It was the biggest nightclub in, in the Atlanta area back in the, you know, the mid-'80s. Okay. And it's about the time we were trying to learn how to play guitar. You know, I'm trying to start a garage band. 
but I run the hospitality services there and uh, worked on the security. But what I did was I made sure all the artists that came in, you know, got what they wanted, what kind of beer, what kind of food, all that kind of stuff. My mama worked in the kitchen for me. Well, David Allen Coe's playing there, and I really don't know him. See, this is what's interesting about me and David. I didn't get to be friends with him from a musical aspect. Okay. Um, he was doing a show, and he had a uh, pan-fried ham. He's picky about his eating. Pan-fried hamburger steak and mashed potatoes on his rider for his food. Well, my mama grilled them all. She's in his kitchen grilling them, and David comes in the kitchen. I didn't know who he was. He comes in the kitchen, and he's like, I ain't eating that. That's, that's grilled, not pan-fried. And his daddy, Donald Mayhem Co., was there, and Donald was flirting with my mama. All these years passed. It's hard to remember. Mom was probably off 36, 37 then, you know. Or, you know, 40. <laughs> but he's flirting with my mama big time, and David's in there complaining. I'm not going to eat this. And my mama hit him on the ass with a spatula and said, get out of my kitchen. Well, I was sitting outside smoking a cigarette, and he walked out and sat down in the car next to him. He says, who's that bitch in there? God, I said, well, it's my mama. <laughs> <laughs> so we, up, we sit there and talk, and he worked back there two or three more times, you know, and we just kind of hit it off. Mm-hmm. And I've always, you know, I was pretty good in promotions. And so I, you know, we started promoting some things together. And uh, he told me when he heard, I, naturally I wanted to play for him because he was, you know, famous artist. Understood. So I played him some of my first songs. And he's like, wow, boy, that's good. He says, you ought to quit your, quit your job and do this all the time. Yeah. So I, I kind of did. Yeah. You know, and my daughter had a lot to do I, with I was going to say, I love this story. It you was, always told it. Tell, tell the story of how you really got started. Well, into, it was hanging you know, out with David. And everybody's hanging around. My, my daughter's in a wheelchair, but she wasn't in a wheelchair then. She had a little scooter. I'd make her sit on a scooter, and she'd scoot around and get exercise. This was Eric, Erica, Erica, my, my right? Okay. daughter. And uh, we'd been doing the show one night, and come in, and she's like, Daddy, you tell me I can do anything I want to do in life. Why can't you do what you want to do? So I kind of quit my job the next day. Turned him a notice the next day. So yeah. That was, yeah. you know, how can you... You know, debate that. Yeah, there's nothing you can't do. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, all right. So is that what you want with the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. That's, that's, oh, that's, that's really I've heard the, that story so many that's times. That's really and the kind I, of I genesis of it there. You know, she she was a, you know, you got to live by example. Yeah. And, I, and I was blessed to have three special needs children. And so, you know, they, they were going to face obstacles in life. And if they'd have to do what they have to do, I'm sure I could do pretty much anything. And my, you know. Regular, if you don't call me normal. <laughs> You're normal. <laughs> in, in your own way. You know, uh, but a various, uh, much inspiration. I, you know, I'd met, I met so many other country artists, but David and I just maintained a friendship for years. When I first quit my job, you know, he's, I thought, well, man, maybe he'll take me on the road with him. And, you yeah. know, I can go to ride to work, yeah. straight to Nashville, the whole nine yards. Yeah. He didn't talk to me for two years. Yeah. I didn't hear nothing. I tried to call him, never heard nothing back. It was just like off the planet. And then I had a, I would put out a record, and it got mentioned next to him and Willie Nelson in Music Row magazine. Which record was this? That uh, was my third record, Good Rockin' Night. Okay. On um, Sundial Records in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And it was uh, got honorable mention next to him and Willie Nelson. So he called me up. He said, "Boy, I seen you in that magazine." I'm going to help you find, get some shows. And, you know, the rest is history. Okay. We've done a lot of stuff together. Right? Well, I, I guess with being this this whole who influenced you and how did you kind of get started thing, uh, talk about the uh, the start of the Cheap Whiskey Band. Well. Because if I see your name, I always see, unless you're just doing a small acoustic set, but. I always see cheap whiskey band with it, so I'd love to know the start of that. I don't even know this. So. I would sit around and I was trying to learn how to play a guitar. I really couldn't play. I knew about three chords. And you always you know, still, I know two you more. You still now. tell me that you can't yeah, play. I, I, I play two more now, so you know, I know five <laughs> chords. Are there more chords? <laughs> you know, but uh, I might know I, one. Well, you know, it's just a beginning thing. And I, like I said, I did some security work, and I used to be into the martial arts thing, and we'd work out. And, so a bunch of young guys from that worked at the Winn-Dixie grocery store with me, they'd come over and hang out and watch me and Chucky Baby mess around in the backyard doing karate and stuff. 
And then we got to playing guitar sitting around. And my, one of my best friends and the co-founder of Cheap Whiskey Band, I talk to him every other day still, Jeff Patton, the party animal. Jeff wasn't 16 then. We uh, just started us a little garage band and, uh, you know, worked that through that whole time. They all worked at the Rainbow Music Hall with me in the kitchen, We, you know. Um, and uh, Jeff, Jeff and I can't, his cousin Thomas Carr was our first drummer. Uh, Chucky Baby was the first bass player. You know that. Jeff took over the bass because okay. Chuck was Chuck was better at make make sound uh, sound and taking care of us. Chuck always took care of us. You know. But uh, we um, I watched a lot of movies like every young man, mm-hmm. and I remember <laughs> uh, Coal Miner's daughter Doolittle says you got to have a record. So as soon as we I wrote two songs on a dare. We put our first record, West Georgia Man. Uh, we did that one on our own. And it actually got a lot, tremendous amount of airplay in West Georgia and East Alabama up and down the state line. Me and Jeff would get in the car every morning at 4 o'clock and go visit radio stations before we went to work at the grocery store. So we really pushed that thing and got noticed in Nashville. And we mm-hmm. did a couple records for Sundial Records. I think we did uh, 245s. That's right, folks. 45s. Mm-hmm. Made with plastic. John Austin's holding one in his I hand. I do right have now. one. Got, we're, oh, we're going to talk and, about and, this record. Ironically enough, it's Holly Records. That's I always thought that was yeah. pretty good. Cool. it on the back. Well, um, <laughs> that's, you know, it's like okay. every, the same way everybody starts in yeah. the garage, you know. Yeah, okay. Wanted to be Elvis, man. Wanted yeah. to, you know, be the... And I love the Rolling Stones, CCR... I say James Brown, a lot of assorted yeah. soul music, you know. You like that that soul, that southern, just the, the, the feel good music. So I like to call it Atlanta music. Yeah, I like that. And you know, we were we were basically uh, doing country and what every band does. You know, we did the whole, we first started playing full time. We did the lounge circuit back in the seventies and eighties. You had to play in a lounge like the Holiday Inn. They don't even have them no more. But every Holiday Inn had a bar. All hotels had lounges, and that's where you played. So we did those all over the southeast, hell, all over America, actually. You know, I, I could name tons of them things. <clears throat> and, I, you know, I decided pretty early on that I wanted to specialize. I didn't want to just, you know, play country or rock music. I wanted to play for bikers because, my, my like I said briefly, my children had special needs. And so the bikers were always doing fundraisers and stuff. And my daughter was a poster child from Musker Dystrophy, so I'd met a lot of them. I'm like, you know, I'd like to specialize in playing for these guys. Kind of get, like, in a way of, like, giving back to them. Nobody wanted to hire a biker band back then. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was was kind of like, you know, if you worked worked for bikers, you didn't work at the Holiday Inn. Well, about 1989, I'm like, you know, if I want to do this biker thing, I'm just going to have to do biker thing and the others off. So I, I think our last holiday in was uh, the Hard Dome Fulton Industrial, 1990. I ain't played one since. I was not even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> 91 for me. It would be not, no, it would be, no, be 90, 1992. 92. The last time I played the holiday in was 1992, three days before I left to go on my first USO tour to the first Gulf War in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Because we all went and got 12 shots that day. Okay. Can I cuss? Yeah, I don't care. I still remember how bad my fucking arms were. <laughs> we were, we had a hell of a night, man. Well, I guess let's go ahead and jump into that. Uh, the, 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 one of the next questions. What is, we obviously brought up the Iron Horse, and I've witnessed you at Iron Horse for like a week straight. I don't think we missed a show that week that I was down there, no, Bike Week or Biketoberfest. That is like a, that is kind of mine and my dad's thing, but. In general, I mean, it's my thing. If my dad was not there, I would definitely well, still yeah, be there. You were but always cool, man. I, I still always show up. I, I, we, we're on stage right. I know the difference of right and left. Well, see, that, that's, that's, <laughs> the whole, that's exactly the concept I was talking about. Your dad and you came to these biker things. See, mm-hmm. my kids could go to these biker things. Mm-hmm. And even though it might be a little coarse, they were all right. They were welcomed, you know, and they didn't. You, they might see a titty every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, JB seen his first titties when he was like four and a half years old. At <laughs> first biker show. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, now that's why you like going. To get, you know, that's why you want to be in the biker well, show. Well, 
But I, but I mean, it was, it was something that, you know, you could do with your kids. And your yeah. kids were there, and they could yeah. have, you know, if, when it got, and, and late at night to kids, you send the kids oh, yeah. to the campground. I, I will say the one thing, and, and I'll really break into it some more, but the one thing about the biker culture that I have always loved and respected, and I know you'll agree with me about this, is there's always been this uh, aura about them that if you if you don't know the biker culture and you don't know everybody, you almost have this kind of like negative vibe because you've seen like a gang-related stuff or something. But I have never once, never once, I've never once witnessed any kind of like negative vibes. It's been nothing but love between everyone at it, every show, at every bike week, at, at, at everything. It is nothing but respect and love from everyone to everyone. That is how the majority of it is. It's just like to say 1% of the bikers cause a problem. I don't even think that 1% causes a problem. But I'll tell you, for your, your listeners... That, Jose Cuervo calls us a problem. Yeah, a lot more problems. <laughs> your listeners that watch uh, the History Channel something, the six shows that you see about biker problems... Mm-hmm. Those are the six big problems that's happened in yeah. America. Nothing, problems don't go down because they would turn bad quick. So they're yeah. self-policing, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And we, you know, I could play what kind of music. I mean, we play a lot of cover songs. I write songs for bikers, but I play them different. I don't play them just like the record. For somebody tell me I sounded just like the record was uh, one of my taboos. Yeah, yeah I get that. You know? I get that. What well, what What is like... Obviously, like I said, go, going back to the Iron Horse thing, what's like, would you consider like your the biggest show you've played, whether it be headliner, opener, or uh, just uh, something like Iron Horse? Because Iron Horse is just a day full of music, but. Um, well, the Iron Horse, you know, the first three years that we worked there, we played 12 sets a day. Good God. Yeah, we started. Times are different then. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot different. You know, and uh, it's like folks, the Iron Horse, Billy and Sally, and of course, Sally's just there now, but Billy and Sally, some of my best friends, but we really put a lot into that. You know, I mean, that's that's hard work. I couldn't, I had to take like, you know, what cost uh, steroids just <laughs> to get my voice through that. I mean, yeah. it was a course thing, a but it was great training, you know? And we've had some really, all the shows at the Iron Horse are huge, great shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's my favorite place to play mm-hmm. on the planet. My second favorite place is right down the road here at the Claremont Lounge. I, I love Wait, it. We know. are in walking distance. And anywhere I play for bikers, they, you ask about my biggest show. I, I mean, I, and I play some big USO shows. Don't get me wrong, but the, the, as far we'll, as the we'll break into people, that in a second, yeah. the most people we've ever played for at one time, yeah, was uh, sixty-four thousand people in Berlin, Germany. Berlin. And, uh, was, what was the? It was the Born to Ride Festival. Okay. The Born to Be Wild Festival. Born we, to Be we Wild. We played it three festival. times. But uh, born to be wild, we we were the headliners. You know? Okay. And uh, I had a, what what year was this? It's ninety ninety uh, five. Well, I played it give or take. Yeah, ninety. I played it ninety four, ninety five, and ninety six. Okay. And we okay. had records that were doing really good. Was that like a biker festival? Yeah, born thing? to be wild. Okay. okay. Sponsored by Fucking Good in Berlin. <laughs> That's the name of the bars. Okay. It's called fucking good. 64,000 people. Yeah, 64,000 people. That's a lot that's, of people. That's a lot of people. That's a sea of people. You can see the videos. This video is on my YouTube. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to look that up. But that is a, that's a sea of people. and It was probably the, my first my first time playing it. was We had a, a record that was doing good over there. I recorded for a record label in Germany. It was owned by the equivalent of Easy Riders Europe. Okay. It was a Bikers News magazine. So I was just for my crowd, you know, and this was all motorcycle riders. Yeah. What, a, what a thing to walk out in front of that many people and just, you know. Just and the fact that there's that many of them there. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. It's yeah. In, in Europe, it's, it's bigger than it is here. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you, you couldn't, you yeah. know, can't overstate it. But it was a crazy night. I didn't speak hardly any German then, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I can throw a little German. I took German, so I can throw a little bit out but there. But when it was <laughs> over, we're, we're leaving the stage and it, and the Crowd's going ape shit, man. And I forget how I said it, but this German, the the big DJ from the Berlin Rock and Roll Station, was the MC. So we good night, went off stage, and we got there. People are like raising hell and throwing shit. I'm like, oh man, Jeff Patton, the founder of the Cheap Whiskey Band, he was there with me. He's like, they're going nuts. We got to get out of here. So they grabbed me up, and we're running me down through the crowd, and it was like. 
there's the guy speaking on the loudspeaker. He's like, these Americans, they don't know what he's saying. He says, he's leaving. He says, speak American English. And they said, we want more. I thought they were. <laughs> I thought they were having a riot. He thought it was going to be a riot. Were, he thought it was about to get crazy. Yeah, I, I, well, everybody did, man. And I went back out and did two more encores. It was a great night. Of course, you know, the headline of all Bacher shows in Germany is the sex show with them. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of our equivalent to wet T-shirt contest. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. Uh, I guess while we're on concerts and everything, actually, I asked my dad this question. And I was like, hey, is there anything you'd love to hear about? And he brought it up. So you, you talk about going on the USO, like USO, yeah. USO like shows and things like that. And he brought up Somalia. Um, talk a little bit about Somalia, for one, just for that aspect, but any of the USO shows or uh, anything along that lines. I'd love to hear some more about that. When we, You know, we started doing the USO with the first Gulf War. And it was, uh, you know, it made no money doing that. You know, it was kind of a just get out there and get the experience thing, you know. Uh, we weren't well known enough to have sponsors at the time. So, like I say, it was, you know, very cash slim. <laughs> but it was the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life. And I've made friends on that first tour that I've talked to every, every week or every month since. And it's been, you know, 25 years. Um. We did uh, we did the Gulf War, which you know it was over by the time we got there, <laughs> but it was still. I'm from Georgia. I've never been to a place where there wasn't no damn trees, man. No, no, no trees. No trees. That was okay. what impressed me most. No we got trees. on an airplane, Atlanta, Georgia, green, you know, kudzu. Flew to flew to England and got drunk there and got on the the 747. When I went to sleep, everybody had on regular clothes, and I woke up, and everybody had on camos and was toting a gun. <laughs> All right. And, uh, that would be a, uh, a moment where I'm like, uh, and when this isn't out, where I parked my car. I remember walking out, <laughs> stepping out onto the – they didn't have, like, a terminal where they pulled a plane up. They had them big, huge steps. They rolled up. Yeah. This, you know, it was 747s, five stories off the ground. But I, I walk, got to the door, and I'm like, walk out, and it's like it was like stepping into hell. It was like, you know, 125 degrees and no tree, no green. Just no green. It's like, wow. Good Lord. The world's a big place, man. Yeah. But we, uh, like I said, it was the most rewarding thing that I felt I'd been a part of. I, so we, uh, they called me back, surprisingly. After six or seven weeks in the, in the desert there, we got back home and the, the uh, DOD, the Department of Defense at Pentagon, called and asked if we would do some more tours. And I'm like, well, yeah, if you want us <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so we uh, dedicated pretty much the 4th of July time slot and New Year's Eve to the troops. And we did that for 12 years. Uh, I still, I'm still an advisor. But our second tour was to Panama, which okay. was uh, very interesting. Yeah. Honduras, Panama. Okay. I could talk about that for 10 days. Yeah. The third one was the New Year's in uh, – uh, the fourth tour, the next New Year's, was in Somalia. And we were the, one, the first USO show after the Black Hawk went down. It had been three, I think, two and a half, three months. But we played the New Year's Eve show, and it was oh, it was just uh, unbelievable, man. That's uh, uh, you, Your dad wants to know about this because I can't even get it all out. I mean, <laughs> you know, Africa's a long way from yeah. Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, yeah. I mean, we air refueled on the C-5A twice on the way over there. <laughs> And when we got there, it was still dark, you know, so we couldn't land the O-Light 30s, what they call it, when the sun comes up. Because there was, a, you know, I mean, people shoot at planes and stuff. They had to be able to watch the runways and surround them and all that. So it was really a secure thing, just like we'll be going to Baghdad today. And uh, we went all over the um, – no, I just did that for fun. We went. <laughs> okay, I see what you're we, doing. <laughs> we went up. Uh, we we stayed at the embassy compound between the Airborns and the Marines, okay. and we uh, did every uh, every camp, every base they had over there. And once again, made friends that um I I talk to all the time. Uh, uh, Greg Dean, Greg Dean uh, of the United States Airborne, and he's retired and uh, lives up at uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, right now. He came down to see me not long ago. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife, Melissa, very nice to meet her. But uh, these, you know, some of these guys I've known for years. Yeah. Tommy Iceland. But Somalia was, it was you, a mess. You do man. know 
I think everyone in this world. <laughs> I'm getting old, though. I can't remember everything hey, I used say, to. It's too you, much you, information. You made the statement earlier about you were in promotions when you kind of got started, and you, you were pretty good with, like, promotions and stuff, but and you were just talking about people that you made friends with over the years. Like, if there's one thing I've ever... I, I even said it at the beginning, if, if there's one thing I've ever stated, and I'll state it and make it known... You have one of the greatest personalities and communicative skills in the aspect of like, <laughs> and I say that in the aspect of you're so personal, everyone loves you. It, like Gator, I, I aspire to be that right? way. <laughs> like no, I, I like, and I don't get me wrong. Like I, well, thank if you. anyone knows me, they know I love to talk and I love to have on carry on conversations and I, I try to be nice to everybody and, and I, I I try to be that way. And honestly, I mean it when I say it, Uncle JB, and make sure I say it like that. <laughs> a lot of the reason I am that way and I try to be that way is because of you. Ah, your mom and daddy. And I do get a lot from mom and daddy, but I've always seen you be very personal. You can walk in the room, everyone knows you, and it's not even like you don't let it be this like fame thing. It's just... Hey, everyone's a friend. It's every I'm just, you know, I, I love it, people, like, and I just do what I do for a living. I, I aspire to continue to strive to be like that. You know, everybody has a load of bullshit in their life. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't I mean, I've done a lot of interviews. <laughs> I've done a lot of interviews over the years, and and you know, a lot of people didn't even know much about my life until my son passed away. I'm mean, big parts they didn't know, and I'm not saying that. You know, like I said, people didn't know because I would never say nothing. You know. Everybody's got a load of bullshit they have to deal with. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, people's—it's just different. Yeah, and I—and I, early on, I'm like, I gotta have a good attitude for my kids, and I'm—I'm a happy guy. I can't let none of this change that. Let's, you know, just smile. It, yeah, not everything works out, but you know, no, sometimes things do better. But you know, I, just, I, I don't think I've ever told you that, so I, just, I feel like well, thank it, you. I, I, I appreciate feel like it. I need to say that. Um, God, you've been. Traveling and, and I was the doing same way when I was a meat cutter, <laughs> and I talked Dixie. to people the same way at the Winn Dixie grocery store as hey, I do now. Not my first one job, technically, well, technically, <laughs> I started as bag boy, but I worked my way up to meat cutter. All so, right. so Winn Dixie, I was not at Winn Dixie, I was at Cooks, 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 right. yeah. yeah. But you were in Thomaston when okay, Winn Dixie, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> You you've been doing this for. I did work at the Winn Dixie and Thomaston for the yeah. grand opening. Okay. When they opened the new one there, it was like nineteen seventy. Yeah, it's, it's gone so, now. Yeah, it's gone. They're all gone. Now. Yeah. Um, you've been doing this for, for so long, and, and and you talk about all these like the tours you've been on and, and the people that's influenced you and what you're doing now and, and all these things. Like, what would you say is like? Like the biggest differences from back then till now. If you could like one, two things, or, or what would you say some of the biggest differences you see? And I don't, I don't mean that at like surface level of like, oh, we got cassettes too. Well, that's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. That's a big difference. I mean, cassettes okay. was a major innovation. Okay. I mean, you and I are sitting here talking, you're recording all this stuff, and on, on nothing but a laptop. <laughs> yeah, we're chilling here. I mean, you know the. Entertainers to young people coming up, they don't realize most of them the resources they have at their hands. You know, mm-hmm. back when we started, you had to, you know, if you wanted a to do a, to a flyer, to. you had to draw out a flyer like Mr. Haney on Green Acres, you know, yeah. and pull it down. I mean, or use rub on letters. I used to do rub on letters, you know. Okay. Probably don't even know what that is. I, I know what yeah. uh, I, I can't say I've ever. Uh, the music used business it. is a, the toughest. The inter- entertainment in general, not just music, but inter- yeah. being an entertainer is one of the toughest businesses to be in to make a living that, you know, a sustainable living. I've been very blessed and lucky uh, over the years. But just from recording methods to equipment, I mean, the only things that had changed is like a guitar and, you know, a mic stand. I yeah. mean, you know, microphones, everything's yeah. different. Um, our first records were put on 45s. I mean, you know, yeah. I've got Wax Masters. Yeah. You don't get, you know, you see that no more. I mean, yeah. it's it's changed amazing. You know, I mean, now you've got right here, you've got a recording studio, a TV studio, uh, a, a publishing center, mm-hmm. and it's sitting on a, a tote. 
that I can literally throw in a book bag. Yeah, you can put in a book bag and take <laughs> yeah. anywhere. It's a, yeah. it's an incredible amount of thing, but but you still got to apply that. Yeah. You know, which is where a lot of people miss the boat. That's where the promotion and marketing side comes in. That social media is an amazing tool, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm I'm not. At one point, I was probably the most savvy entertainer in Atlanta when it come to come to computers and that type of thing. You mm-hmm. know, 15, 20 years ago, I would do consulting work when I was in town, just you know, to help other people. Yeah. But uh, now, new apps every day is something new every day. You youngsters, man, y'all just so creative. You know, yeah. you come up with. I mean, it's it's it blow your mind. I, you know. Yeah. I just sit back, but when you come down to it, it's that piece of wood and steel that makes a difference, mm-hmm. and what you put on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. If you don't write on a piece of paper, you ain't songwriting. You can't just write in a computer. Uh-huh. You got to write on toilet paper, yeah, barroom napkins, cardboard, whatever's available. I, I, some of the songs that I've done are in this random notebook of it's falling apart. There, uh, <laughs> I, I literally said I'm never going to touch this notebook unless I'm sitting down to write a song. Yeah, and uh, it's been a lot of years of writing songs of. of like randomly, I'll grab this and hey, I know I'm gonna be writing this song. Let me, let me just take it in this and I, like I can sit here and type it up on notes on a phone or a computer. But for me, it's I don't get the authentic like I don't know. I, and I've written stuff on literally, like you say, like a napkin. Like I'm like, oh, I gotta write this lyric down. Like and I, I might transfer it to something else. But when it comes to your head, like. I ain't got to pull over and do it then. You got to do it then because you will forget. And there's yeah. been lyrics that I, I can remember riding down the car, riding in the car and, and thinking like, oh, I like that line or I like that bar or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like I, I get home and I'm like, crap, I, I should have wrote that down. Some of these young bands in Atlanta, these young country bands, I've referred, referred to some of us older seasoned, seasoned musicians been doing it for, they call us old and jaded. Well, I'm not old and jaded. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm going to admit right now that I do indeed. When I when I get a song idea these days, I pull over the side of the road instead of reaching for a napkin, I pull out my Blackberry. Now that... You still you have a Blackberry. By the Blackberry. There you, it is. you still have a Blackberry. I, I was actually going to make a joke about that a minute ago that you still have a Blackberry. Yes, like. self joking. <laughs> I pull over and I text myself lyrics. I'll te- text the lyrics yeah. and text them myself. I got them on my phone, but you know, when this thing dies, I'm probably screwed. Man. Yeah. So, yeah, so well. you're, I will say this you're the only person I know that has well, a Blackberry. Well, you know, you got it. I got to tell you, you're the first person I knew with the second person I knew with a Blackberry. Wet Steve in Daytona, first guy that got one. Second person was your mama. Uh, yeah. And your mama had a Blackberry. I'm like, that's a way cool phone, Miss Sherry. That's what I'm going to get me. Yeah. So, hey, whatever works. I, I've, I'm the iPhone. If I like guy. something, I stick with it. Yeah, hey, I, no, I get it. Like, I get it. Well, that's like an iPhone. I went and got a new one recently, and they were like, what do you, you want this, you want that? I was like, I want an iPhone. It's as simple as that. I like it. I use it. I, I and It's not that I'm afraid of change or anything. It's just, it well, it's works. it's what you used to. It's what I used to. It works. It's convenient. It, it and it's a phone. Like I don't, I don't look at it. As I don't use all this stuff on here. I mean, you know, just look at it. It's got so many, so many apps. Do you know what app stands for, right? App stands for. App stands for. Like a a like what's like the a, acronym a, for? Yeah, a, yeah app. Uh oh, God. Ooh, you're, see, you're quiz, this is what I'm talking about. You're I quizzing a, me on something I was a, that I, I don't was know. A media guru back in the nineties. Oh man, you're quit. I've heard this actually. It stands for applications. Well, a, well, application. I application. feel like, I, but I feel like app stands for something. Application. It's just so it's just a shortened version. It's not Short, an acronym. Okay, it's, it's shortened version of application. Shortened version. Got so it. Software. You got a computer. You got to yeah. have something to do with an app. App, okay. application. So apps. Okay, I your got generation. I seriously, I thought you meant like an acronym of like hey app. No, no, or, it's uh, a, a, yeah. It's A-P-S, just the shortened apps, version. Yeah. yeah, the shortened version of applications. Okay, I was about to say, wait. There's a, a recording. Now. I feel like I've heard that app like s stands for something though, and I don't. I might. I may be tripping, but I got a video okay. camera in this. I got all the stuff. You got, in here. You got all you need. You on know, it. but That's I got a compass matter. too. This thing's got a compass. Uh, yeah. You hold your phone. Hey, I got I got a I level up, and everything. If I, I don't know where, it. I, many times I've been around the world. If I don't know where the hell I'm at, I'm screwed anyway. So I don't have to use it. <laughs> uh, Sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I don't need the blackberry to tell me that. <laughs> uh, that's true. Hey, we, we you brought it up a second ago, and I guess I want to go ahead and talk about it. 
and, and I am holding this in my hand right now. I know you cannot see this, anybody listening to this, but this is a 45 recorded in Holly Records, represent, because that is my last name, even though it's not a family thing. Um, this is the Dixie is Beautiful to Me by J.B. Walker. Oh, that's the B-side. That is. B-side, Jesus is returning. Uh, it only flipped out. Jesus is returning is on the A-side. Sorry, I was holding the B-side. Okay, well, but I see that cuts See, in. you even knew that without me flipping. Well, I like it. Well, that's because it cuts in. That's really a cool story. I told you we did up and down West Georgia with it. We know we did 245 records that okay. we paid for and promoted. And so we were doing real good. You know, everybody, you know, getting to know us in, uh, in East Alabama and West Georgia, you know, all the way north-south state line. We did all the radio stations and even got, you know, royalty checks because we got played so much. Yeah. Well, one of the guys that used to uh, hang out and was big in the music business, he owned a record label that put out a lot of local artists. Holly Records? Holly Records. Holly. His name's Ben Hollinsworth. Okay. And it's T. Kelly Publishing on there. And his, uh, uh, his son's name was Terry and his daughter's name's Kelly, and that's where T. Kelly Publishing comes from. But well, the way Ben got started is he, we, I was in a radio station. He came in pushing a record from one of his other people that he'd recorded. And he's like, oh, JB, he, says, he said, would you do some, uh, record some demos for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I went, we went to uh, Brown, I can't, it's Billy Brown's studio in Aniston. Aniston, Alabama. I, yep. yep. Say that. SMG Recording Studios. SMG Recording Greenbrier Studios. Road, Aniston, Aniston Alabama. Aniston, Alabama, I had that yep. part right anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Brown, it was Wayne Brown. Was the producer and he owned the studio and I sang several songs, and I, this Jesus is returning. His brother Paul had wrote that gospel song and he wanted to do a gospel song. He said, "Well, if you sing, if you help my brother straighten his song out, put some music to it." He said, "I'll release a 45 with his song on the A side and you put any song you want on the B side." I'm like, "Well, that's cool. I'll do that." And so that's what we did, and and the gospel song actually. Did really well in the South. I mean, it was on all the gospel radio hey, stations. Hey, we in the Bible Belt. And they, yes, and they called me up and wanted me to go out and do some gospel shows and stuff. But I didn't think it was right at that time. Yeah, with a cheap whiskey band to be doing that kind of thing. Understood. Now, the, an interesting note on the uh, B side, uh, "Dixie is Beautiful to Me." That's the first song that I ever wrote that I sat down to write a song. Okay. And uh, I not never, the first you recorded, but the first you wrote. That's the first one I wrote. That's the reason I went back and did it. I figured this was a burner, right? I didn't know Ben that well at all. I figured this was all going to be a waste. (laughs) But so I put my first song. I said, it would be cool to have your first song on record. So that's the first song I wrote. I might be able to play it if I thought about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to request that one night. (laughs) Yeah. It mess y'all up. I can get through the first verse. (laughs) I might have to do that. But, uh, uh. Holly Records. So we went on after that. That big Ben's like, well, we're going to do some records. So we recorded. 335, Made an Outlaw Out of Me, which is a song about the minimum wage, was 335. That's what that means. It's a while back, so. Okay. <laughs> I'd have to redo it like 998 <laughs> now, you know, or whatever it is. You know, 762, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, but we, uh, what we did uh, two, more, two more records for Ben on Holly Records. And that's what got us noticed in Nashville, so we went to Sundial Records. That and the fact that we uh, went all over Nashville every time we got a chance and put bumper stickers everywhere. There are still cheap whiskey band stickers on phone poles in Nashville. Hey. Now, the statute of limitations is run out. Yeah. If you go to Music Row, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in Nashville, go down there right now, walk down Music Row, and before you get all the way to the end, you'll see a cheap whiskey band sticker because me and Jeff Patton put them on everything. And I say this... It is like good advertising. <laughs> I said this last month at, at the Full Throttle Roadhouse when I do my duo on Sunday and I just I sit around talking and tell stories. Yeah. And, and, and there's folks that. went to Nashville the next week. And they couldn't believe it, man. They went right to the first thing they wanted. There it is. They sent me pictures of them in front of my stickers. Okay. Now, that's thirty, probably 32-year-old stickers. That's, that's, that's value there. in advertising. Hey, you know I'm, I'm, that's my I've been a sticker skills, guy. Value so. in advertising. I uh, I I rep the stickers all day. You know long, what this but... was? This was the first version of the the tag sticker stuff. Like for like the... a shirt kind of thing. No, like, like a... they print 
car tags. Oh, okay, okay. You know, the, the one you put yeah, on there, it won't yeah. come off. Yeah. That was oh, the first yes. version. They will not come off. And I bought a whole pallet full of it. <laughs> and I printed them myself, printed the stickers, you know. I that was into great. that. I printed hey, you, you, you do have the, the history of... Uh, uh, well, that's, I consider that in the promotion side of things, but you do have the history of printing as well. So, well, yeah, I started doing the, the bootleg T-shirts. Bootleg T-shirts. I printed T-shirts. I screen printed T-shirts. Bought me a awesome printer and dryer, yeah. and I bootleg them all over town. I, uh, some of my bootleg creations. I had some really big T-shirts when I was, you know, like in my like, like I was twenty years old. Uh, there like like you like song. knock off somebody else's shirt, like a well, band yeah, shirt, like, or I, just like I used to shirt. go. I used to be one of the, the scalpers down at the stadium. I'd print ah, shirts on Saturday go. night, and then I'd head down to Fulton County, uh, Atlanta Stadium, and sell them at the game, whatever was going on, where you know scalping. Make all right, know. okay. I, I knew you, I would say I knew you done the printing thing, but I didn't know that's that where that I met Prince. Uh, okay, the first time I met Prince was at the Atlanta, the Atlanta Stadium at a, at a football game. He pulled up on the sidewalk. Bought a T-shirt. <laughs> he was just hard. Can I ask what T-shirt he bought? <laughs> it was a Falcons. It was a Falcons, Falcons shirt? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. You know, and he was just an R&B hit then. Yeah. Pop music had no idea who he was. Yeah. You know, I, and I just knew him because I was big. I loved R&B. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. Prince. Interesting. And, and you may be honest with your wife you bought the shirt uh, for me. Go ahead. I had my pregnant wife out there selling shirts. Okay. She was eight months pregnant. <laughs> Uh, he he might have felt a little bad. He's like, I, I need to go buy a shirt. I need, I need to do something here. He said, I'm buying some shirts from that lady. Somebody got her out selling T-shirts. That is great. Anyway, he was a really cool guy. Interesting. Okay. That's interesting. You know, I, I, did, I did not know that. I've lived in the storm for 62 years now. So. Okay. Um, so uh, while we're, I guess we, we started with the whole, the record that I'm holding. I do have one more thing, and I'd love to talk about. Um, I'm actually holding a copy of the Grease magazine, and ironically enough, I uh, actually did get uh, somebody sent me pictures of me from that show. Yeah, yeah, they were like, "Hey, do you want me to say oh, these?" Oh yeah, it was like, Gre- no. the Grease magazine. Out um, well, I guess let's talk, and we'll talk a little bit more beyond just this one article in here. Uh, I guess this was what two? What was this? Just two years ago. Two years. Ago. Two years ago. Um, it actually popped up in my. Um, memories recently. Yeah. Um, actually, I even have the ticket stuff. Let's see. Just to be curious, January 6th. So just the other day it popped wow, up. That was two years ago. Yep. Saturday, January 6th of 2018. You were given the Lifetime of Music Award um, from the, at the Ink and Oil Awards up in Marietta. Um, I, was, I, I was really, I, I appreciated it. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, yeah. What's um, the word I'm looking for here? Grateful for grateful. I'm grateful, grateful for yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, they're they're the Grease magazine's good people. Yeah. yeah. Um and I guess just touching on the awards and uh, with all that, uh I'm actually gonna frame this by the way and put this on my, my room. That's I'm telling you, I don't think you realize how much you mean to me in this life. Well, so it, well y'all came to the awards show. That was I, great. I did yeah. come to the awards show. <laughs> it was an absolute blast. I, I'm grateful to even be experienced. I was nervous there that night. You I, were nervous. You did that's the that is actually the first time I've ever seen you on a stage that you didn't have a lot to say. Well, I was you did, or, or, and I'm not even saying you didn't have a lot to say. I don't think you could express what you yeah, wanted I couldn't to say. Yeah, could right. You know, so. when it's different when you're playing and I'm, yeah. you know, doing the experience. That's where you feel at home, though. Music, but, yeah. Or telling a story. Yeah. But it's, you know, I mean, I'm so appreciative of being able to do what I've done for all these yeah. years. And the friends and, 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 you know, people like family, like your, your family and Billy and Sally and you know, so many people that, you know, I'm overwhelmed with it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. And I still get to be a normal guy. Yeah. Of course, you know, people, yeah. all, all, one thing I always get, why don't you never go be like, you know, Travis Tritt or, you know, that kind of like, well, you know, the, and this is the honest truth. I never wanted that. Yeah. It would take, I realized when, when I played for the 64,000 people in Berlin, that was big doings. I made more money yeah. there than that. I, you know, <laughs> I can say it now. Statue of limitations is running. I made more money that night than I'd make in 10 years at yeah. the grocery store. You know, it was like, yeah. and I realized, and all the craziness, I realized, you know, if I go that route with all my friends, you know, contemporaries like Travis and other people, 
mm-hmm. I won't be able to be the same guy. Yeah. And I always want to be the same guy. And I genuinely, you know, as long as I've known you, I'm, you have, I'm happy with you it. have always been J.B. Walker. Yeah, this is something that I learned, and, and not everybody has, but at an early, early age as a teenager, when I was like 19, I realized that money was never going to get the things that I wanted in life. I could have all the money in the world, and it wouldn't buy me what I wanted, which was health for my children. Yeah. Unattainable. So then that totally removes that from the yeah. equation. You know what I mean? Like, you, you eliminate something like that. And it, I, it, it, you don't mean it in a vicious way. No, no I, I, I respect that. No, I get that. Like, I, I'm, I'll touch this real quick. I but, didn't want to be took away more than I was already gone. Yeah. Like, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Illusion of Money by Kyle Cease. If you have not read it, I highly, highly recommend it. But he's just talking about, like, learning your value and learning that if you put money above anything in life, if you if you let money be what controls you, then you're instantly setting yourself up for for this long road of just you gotta it, make a living. Yeah, I mean, like you know, you gotta do you, something. you gotta search your soul more than. But it's not what's most else. important. When you're I mean, laying there on your deathbed, I'm guarantee you're not gonna think about how much money you got in the bank. Nope. You're going to think about, you know, you think about. You ain't nothing you're going to be able to do it. it. <laughs> that's right. You, you, go, you might have a real pretty funeral, but uh, that's about it. I mean. And, I, and, I, and like I say, it's just, that. that's, a, my grand, both my grandfathers are preachers. And I've always had a empathy. I can put myself in other people's situations. I've always thought that was one of my personal qualities. I look at something like somebody else tries to look at it. And I just realized early on that money's great and you want to have enough and have enough to do what you want to do. And a lot of times I ain't had that like everybody. And it don't matter who you are, how much you're worth, you still, it's all, you put your pants on one leg at a time, same as everybody mm-hmm. else. Yep. Except my brother Tim. Yeah. He tries to put them on both of You can edit this out, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I this, might leave this, this in because this, this, look, this ins- sounds like it's going to be a really good story. This can give you some insight into, you know, <laughs> my attitude maybe. As, as a kid, my grandmother... Because my uncles, I had uncles were salesmen, so I would go. I, I went to the the Carnegie courses with my uncle Buddy when I was six years old. I went with him every night when he went. He was a salesman for Great Dane Trailers. He ended up being the president. But my grandmother would say, you know, don't want to talk about riches. Everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time, same as everybody does it the same way. So you you just keep that in mind when you're growing up and you meet somebody you think's rich and fancy and better than you. It's my brother Tim, two years younger than me. He's like, I'm not going to put my pants on like everybody else. And we were growing up, he would take his pants every night and roll them up into two, look like eight. He'd roll them up into like a, just it was like Step eight. Step in and pull them up. And he'd sit on, no, he'd sit <laughs> on the edge of the bed and he'd do a cap up and and jump in, jump in his pants and just pull them up. And this <laughs> Yeah, and look, point. I mean, this is—we started this when he was little, but I'm telling you, by the time we were like junior high school, he get up in the morning. Whoop, he was in his pants like a fireman. Fireman didn't have nothing on him. Man. I mean, I love that he—I love the enthusiasm so of trying to prove someone pants, wrong. Legs on one so we have one exception to that rule in life, at least. <laughs> at least him. Okay, I like it. Uh, now he don't do that anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna say why not because he's older now. You know? yeah, well. <laughs> I uh, never could do that. <laughs> uh, one more. <laughs> I like that. That's good stuff. Uh, one more thing on the awards. You got, God, I don't know how many years ago. Yeah, I'll let you touch base on it. But you got inducted into the Atlanta Country Music Hall of Fame, correct? Yes, sir. So tell me just a quick little excerpt about that. And <laughs> to kind of tell me tell me uh, how you got inducted, what, what for, the whole nine yards there. Uh, somebody submitted my name, and you know I've been I've been around a long time. I, I yeah. guess you know that's got a lot to do with it. Most yeah. people don't last as long in the business, you know. Uh, and I, I'm re, you know real I'm grateful for them, you know, giving me that award. It was, you know, I, it, I was it feels not good a, when you I, get older, you know. It's, yeah, uh, you know I got a lot of stuff hanging on the wall. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, you know, okay. you talk about that night of the at the 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 award there the. Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. Let me tell you what was really funny. So y'all didn't. I probably never told you this. What went on backstage? You know, there were a lot of bands there. Remember, there was bands yeah. all. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, most what? of them were like rockabilly. Rockabilly. That's what I was trying. I don't know. I was about to say hellbilly, but rockabilly is yeah, what I was. Hellbilly. Yeah. yeah, they call themselves hellbilly. Okay. There, but there were several of them playing, and yeah. 
tons of those guys were there, you know, that were involved in the ceremonies and everything. Mm-hmm. But what y'all want to know is in the, in the dressing room downstairs, we were all down there, you know, drinking after I'd done the, got my award. I went back, you know, I went downstairs. We were all drinking after the show. And there's several of these young guys come and says, since you got that Lifetime Achievement Award, you going to quit playing so we can get some work? <laughs> 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 it's you retire, motherfucker. <laughs> they, they, they ready for you to they get out of the job. way. They're like, can you can you not play no more so, like, maybe we can try to get something? Like, <laughs> You know, in Atlanta, Georgia, when we, st- like I said, when we started the biker thing, there were only two bands that played for bikers. That was the Cheap Whiskey Band and Snake Doctor Band. And, okay. that, and we did have, we did all the shows, and which was about one a month. Well, now you know you got about twenty biker shows a day in every county in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize how much that's become accepted. Mm-hmm. And once you stepped into them, back then nobody wanted. And I can give you a list of names of people that are famous now, yeah. have records on the radio that yeah. didn't want to be associated at all with bikers. Okay. Period. Interesting. They didn't even want me to hang out if I was dressed yeah. like one. Now they, you know, they got their deal, and I wouldn't rat them out for nothing. Yeah. They didn't want to be part of that thing. You know, it was, it was. That's that's all we could do. Once we dedicated ourselves to that, that was, you know, that's what we were. Yeah. If we went into a regular country and western bar, we were troublemakers. And they, a lot of people hired David Allen Coe because he's a troublemaker. I know you could see this, but nobody else has seen this. But I literally just rolled my eyes because it's like. I just I understand the the culture of it all, and it's like oh now everybody wants to be. But I say now it's like a cool thing, and it's like yo like that's not. It started getting really cool, like in you know two thousand right around there. Arnold Schwarzenegger terminated that helped a lot. Yeah, motorcycle sales went up, but I mean it was really a time when you you were ostracized. That's the only people you could play for. And let yeah. me tell you, the people that I played for thirty years ago when we first dedicated our music to bikers. They still come to my shows. I talk to them all the time. They're my friends. They're my family, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the way it's been around the world. And that's you know that's the way it's always been. But you know now everybody wants to do that. It wasn't so easy thirty yeah. years ago. It's different times and things have changed. And I, I, I we I've discussed still this. A motorcycle. That's true. Uh, I discussed this the other day, and we were talking about it. I don't remember who I was talking about with, so I'm not even gonna try to dig for that, but. Nowadays, I do think it's so much more appro or I'm not gonna say appropriate, acceptable that you can just be who you want to be, whatever you want to be, and no one really cares. I mean, it, what's that book you're reading? Illusion, illusion of, of money. Illusion of money. Well, that's an illusion too. Yeah, because it's still there. It, well, it's hidden it, in its own ways, well, but I, it's once you get to the point like where my it, age group. Oh, yeah. well, my my generation well, don't none don't of get, us give a shit. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> We're just like okay, like we might look at something and go like, uh, oh, it ain't for me. But, uh, but well, that's even my new thing. I don't, I'm gonna say this since this is especially about music. I don't know we could go down these tangents all day long, but I, I said this the other day is I was at a, a concert and a band was playing and I didn't care for it and. I walked outside. I was talking to my buddy Gabe. Shout out to Gabe. He's one of hey the Gabe, most. Hey Gabe, what's up? Roll <laughs> he is one of the most like. If I have a question about music, I will reach out to him. Uh, but the the statement I said was. Does he know how to play the guitar? I don't know about Maybe that. Maybe give me a lesson. <laughs> you, you might need a couple. <laughs> but the statement I did say was, it might. It's not for me. But I respect what they're trying to do. Oh yeah, it's, it's come a long way. You're you're right about that. But I, I'm, what I'm talking about is the when you get to the business level of it, like oh, there's a you know it's still oh. it's show business. It's oh, entertainment. Yeah. Show it, business, man. It's about well that, but it results back to the money. It's all, I man. mean, realistically, see that's what's so horrible to deal with a dog like me that don't just really give a shit about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I don't. You, you of course just, I can you say that. Down. I could say that at the end of a thirty year career. Yeah. You know? You're still doing your thing at this point. That's who you are, though. Um, man, let's see. I'm giving you too much information. No, you're not. I've told I think more the more the merrier. I'd say the more the merrier. Except for Becky, Becky Feaster. Uh, man, I'm Captain, trying to think. Captain Feaster. <laughs> uh, off the top <laughs> of your head, I, I want to ask this question, and I know we could keep talking for hours. This might, obviously, like I said, turn into a two-part podcast. I said it earlier, but... I want you to think of 
one of the randomest, craziest stories you could tell me. And mind you, I know that you've performed at Georgia Tech for a frat house and you didn't start playing until 7 in the morning. Oh, so the, I know stories can get really <laughs> crazy. So if you could think of really one random crazy story, give me one quick story about that. Man, random. My whole life's random. I know. That's why I wanted to hit you with this, because I wanted to throw you off guard. (laughs) And that story with the Georgia Tech people is quite entertaining. I tell stories for a living. I have so many random crazy stories. Uh, Yeah, we're going to make you think for a second. Well, your dad wanted to know about Somalia. Here's your story. We uh, were getting ready to go out on our first show outside of the embassy compound, and we're we're taking a bunch of ground vehicles, you know, Humvees, Humvees, okay, uh, and big trucks, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, we're going out there, and it's, they come out, and it's well, you know, we got a ton of troops with us. They, Greg Dean, those guys, they escort us all over the Somalia, but they passed out these axe handles to us. Okay, you know, okay, and to the band, yeah. And then, you know, we had pepper spray. This is the band, you know. We're getting, yeah. and, and I'm like laughing. I tossed mine back to the guy to get sergeant to give it to me. And uh, he's, I, I was laughing. I'm like, you ain't getting us boys from Georgia's axe handles in Africa. I said, that just ain't even fucking right, man. That's number one. That's number two. And I'm, I was laughing. And this Special Forces colonel, boy, he just looked at me and looked right through me. He says, boy, time may drag you off the back of that truck and cut you in ten pieces. You're going to wish we let you lay there and die. You know? Can I have that back? <laughs> I wish you could see Mr. Pat tapping his foot. <laughs> I don't know. Random crazy stuff, you know. That's uh, funny. crazy. We, uh, David hates checking the hotel worse than anything. He hates checking Check, into hates checking the hotel worse than anything. Okay. Wasted money. You go into another town, just sleep in the truck, save the money. Yeah. Which is good. It's good when you got a tour bus and the bands in the Ford well, truck. I, I was about to say, I mean, he got a big old a purple you know, tour bus. He still got the same uh, tour bus. He's had so many. Uh, okay. <laughs> the last one I remember was like a purplish looking tour bus. But. I mean, uh, we, we, you know, take a bath every day. You know, I got to get out there and get a, get a shower. We'd be taking showers at truck stops and we take get, getting rivers. So it kind of got to be a. Thing on the first time we were his band and we were actually his band and on tour with him. He wasn't stopping nowhere. We had to get, take a bath, man. We go two days. It's like, man, no hotel. You know, it's the last club didn't have a shower in it. So we just stopped, started getting in rivers. And it got to be like a ceremonial baptismal type thing almost. We'd, we'd pull the trucks over and we'd all go down and get in the river. And so I've swam across every river you probably ever heard of in North America. I mean, literally swam across them as just one side to the just Bobby Bruno's a, done it with me. You know, uh-huh. it's like baby, we go down there and wash the river. It's like okay, we've done this one. You know, we've we've done. Have you that. been to every single state? That's, that's a random question to ask right now. But do you just say I, to, I, I don't to, think so. I hadn't been to Idaho. Okay, I been to Idaho. but but you've been to the majority. Oh yeah, most of them. Oh, most Idaho. Of them. Okay. I don't know why I go there for I get potatoes. Just <laughs> yeah, go just, just to get a potato. Uh, yeah, but well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Vermont. My, my, I don't think I've ever played in Vermont. Okay. No, I mean, that was just it was a question made me think about. It. I mean, you've been almost everywhere, but I, pretty but, much every state, sixty something foreign countries. Okay. You know, I've got around. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um. All right, cool. Well, veer off wait. topic. I'm glad you're gonna edit this. <laughs> hey, we, we can we can veer all day long. It's okay. I'm big uh, on veering. <laughs> hey, you know, we'll, me and you will sit around and talk for hours, and we know this. <laughs> you know, tell you my I, musical influences: Bruce Springsteen, Rolling Stones. I yeah. love the Rolling Stones. Waylon Jennings. I liked Hank Jr. You know, back in the Wild Street days and all that. I, of course, still like him. He's Hank Jr. Uh, he just, you know, he's a little, little he's a little Hank, I, you know. I get along with everybody. If I don't have something good to say about somebody, you're still going to be saying <laughs> Favorite, here, here's your local one. Okay. I've seen all kind of rock and roll shows all over the world. Everybody right. you ever heard of. Favorite single song performance. Okay. Daryl Rhodes from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Singing a whole lot of shaking going on at the Marriott 1984 at the, at the Marriott. Georgia Musicians Reunion. Okay. And to this day, that's the best damn one song I've ever, he was awesome. He broke three mic stands, 
three mics. Three mics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, crazy. you know who Daryl Rhodes is? I've heard. I've heard. He's yeah. a, you know, he had a. He was big back in the hippie days. I'm about to say it's been. But he's, he's quite some time. Been but. a comedian for a while. Now he's actually getting back into music. But best single song performance. I mean, uh, Springsteen played longer than anybody I've ever seen in my life. He's great as far as time length. You know. Interesting. Uh, well, I guess well, you, you brought you brought back up music there and, and influences and stuff. And and I use that question normally as to kind of get the start of where you found your music sound and where you kind of got your influences and all that. But and I know you're uh, you've been doing it for so long now. Do you have any like future like goals or plans with music? Or are you just gonna keep rocking? Iron Horse and Claremont and just doing your thing. Keep doing what we do. And, you know, I've I've wrote a lot of new songs, and and we've actually started recording some of them. And I'm working on a couple books. I'm going to try to get all this down, you know. Yeah. I just do it. you got stories to tell for days. so much information. It's, you know, it's... um, <laughs> I would l- I would love to have a book. I'm starting not even off with part two, which is like where the USO show is about yeah. the USO stuff because that that's a really a huge part of my career. I, I mean, to bond with the military like that, you know, and he's like I say, there's uh, you got to figure. You know, I, these soldiers are just young kids. I was I was pretty young myself. You know, I thought I was old, but I was just yeah. 32, 33 years old. Like you know, when I started, but they were you know teenagers. You know, and and uh. You're out there, they're away from home the first time, you know. It can be scary, man. Somalia yeah. was a scary-ass place. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, that was a real deal. That was, you know, serious stuff. I mean, they, so many people had died from starvation. You yeah. could smell the death in the air. Yeah. You know, that smells like war. Any, That's crazy. You know, war ain't no damn TV show. I can't, I don't preach on that too much. But but people when they watch the TV or look at the social media page, oh, God support the troops. You know what? Don't don't buy a bumper sticker. You know. Oh yeah. Send some Kool Aid out. <laughs> yeah, you know I asked the whole future music, but I, I'm gonna keep man, playing. I, I, you know, my the the thing that I like most about what I do is whether I'm doing. I like playing a duo because I can do. I I can play songs that I've just wrote and tell stories and things. But yeah. I like playing with a band and. My favorite thing is there comes a moment, and you as an entertainer yourself, you'll know this. Sometimes when you're in front of a crowd, you just lock in with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like at the Claremont. You have moments where there's, there's you're a like, moment where you just good. Melt. You have good and bad moments, like where you're like, oh, this is going to be a good night. This is going to be a bad night. This is going to be bad, and, and so many variations. Off but bad are usually the ones that turn into the best. But you, uh-huh. I'm just saying, there's a point where the music groove and the crowd and the band and everything comes together. And you're not even thinking about what you just the whole experience of it, and it's yeah. amazing. And so you know it's it's like being drunk okay. without drinking. <laughs> of course, now I drink on the job because we all know I'm a glorified whiskey cigarette salesman. All right, go ahead and say your one statement. How do you like your tequila? Hot, cheap, and nasty. Like I like my women. Uh, all right, I got to make Why sure I, I put drink, that. You in know there. when you drink tequila, if you make a face, you know. <laughs> If you ain't making a face, it ain't no good. Cause it ain't know. no good. <laughs> that is my Tequila's favorite like, thing. I love Tequila hearing you say that. Tequila is like sex. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you ain't making a face, it wasn't no it good. It wasn't no dude. good. Tequila's always <laughs> straight. If you're straight facing that, then yeah. <laughs> Drink it hot that way. I don't expect no refrigerator. Put it in my saddle uh, bag and be ready when I park. Cool, cool. I like it. I like I'm a real biker. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I give you that. Uh, yeah, well. When I first started riding motorcycles, were not allowed at the varsity. Now they meet on the top deck. <laughs> no, I say, now they meet there and hang out. I know, right? Um, well, I greatly, greatly appreciate you coming on here, doing this podcast with me. I know we could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours probably and have shots of tequila and drinks and we could do this all night long but i do know that uh i have, got to, a I have date, to tone it down i gotta go do something I mean, <laughs> we all got... hey i got i got uh we got the national championship tonight oh really <laughs> so, yeah I'm, I'm gonna watch a little football have some people over oh, so man. i never watched a football game in my life <laughs> yeah you a lie no, <laughs> you really haven't watched football <laughs> Ten minutes, okay. Yeah, that's the best time to go out and hang out with the chicks, man. Okay, the football game I'll take it. Them. All the guys watch. You got to bring the chicks to you, though. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so things, uh, you know, I, I say roll hard. You do say roll hard. Come from, right? 
How did that start? Uh, that is actually a really good question, and then we'll, we'll finish up after that. You need to, just, to tell how that started. Well, I always said rock on. If you'll see a lot of old-time bikers, they'll see me, they'll say rock on, JB. And I'll say roll hard, and they'll say rock on. You'll kind of answer the okay. thing. Roll hard came in. The last movie that me and little JB, my son, went to mm-hmm. see was uh, the Dewey Cox story, Walk Hard. Okay. And we went in there. We, you ever seen the movie? I have, actually. I was laughing. It was like Mr. Mr. Pat, he never wants the name right. But anyway, we come out of the movie theater in JV's wheelchair. He says, Walk hard, hell, roll hard. I'm like, Yeah. And that's where it started. That's where it started. Interesting. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. You so don't that, believe that I say it all the time, obviously. And. And I, uh, I obviously Jessica got it tattooed on her knuckles. Hey, I done know. told you. I done got it you to sign it on a piece of paper. I carry it in my wallet, and one day I'm finally gonna break down and get the tattoo where you sign the paper and it's in your hand writing that says "Roll Hard." <laughs> so that is happening. I still have it in my wallet. And I can show it to you to, to make sure if you don't remember it. But anyways, I, <laughs> you know. But anyways, thanks again so much for coming on. I was just to tell you about the toilet paper hanging out the Oh, God. We're gonna, we're, this is going to be a conversation we'll have after that. <laughs> we'll, we might have him back on for part two just because this is going to – we could do multiple podcasts of this. Stuff. For the reason I'm doing different the volumes of the book. It's, just, <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here. And, and everybody that's listening to this, I want to thank you for all the support. If you, if you follow us, all the support over all the years. And I look forward to seeing each and every one of you out on the road. John Austin Gator Holly here. He's one fine guy. His entire family. And he's, 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 I say kid. He ain't a kid. He's a grown man. Yeah, I'm getting older, older and older. But. Fine young man. And, and y'all listen to what he does out here. He, these guys are the future. Trying to be. Trying to make a difference and trying to follow passion. I got more one than thing to say, man. Yeah, roll hard. Roll hard. Roll hard. Well, thanks again for having us. Thank you all for listening. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I will see y'all back for uh, episode three, and I'm not going to tell you who is on the next one, but be looking forward to it, and I will see y'all soon. Thank you. Get them up, 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 get them up.